Hello, I'm Alex Towles and you're listening to More Than A Beautiful Game, a podcast about how you can get into the world of football without being really good at kicking one. On this episode, we'll be talking about football analytics and how knowing your way around a spreadsheet can be just as important for clubs as your knowledge of the game. To do so, I'm joined by someone who's gone from Twitter to the Championship in a space of a year, Barnsley recruitment analyst Matt Trevelyan. Hi Matt, how are you doing? Hi Alex, I'm good, thank you. Good, good. So, you are a recruitment analyst at Barnsley. What does a recruitment analyst at Barnsley do? So basically, as a recruitment analyst, my job is to use data and video to analyse and find players to sign and to help us bolster the squad. There's a small recruitment team, there's a few scouts that go out and about, but the main recruitment side is me, another analyst called Harrison, and we report to our director, who's also heavily involved in like the modelling and all the crazy data stuff, um, James Crime, even Dane Murphy, our CEO, we have a meeting once a week, and it's just really friendly and really nice. I don't really think of them as like my higher-ups, it's just like a team that we work together with. What resources do you use for that? Because you mentioned your crazy data stuff. What kind of crazy data stuff is there? Uh, so at the minute we use uh, StatsBombs data, which is a really incredible comprehensive data set of like every match across the leagues that you really like want to care about. We do some in-house stuff to create some models, but I can't really go too, into too much detail about that because that's what gives us our advantage. Yeah, that's fair enough. You just, you do some magic, do some code, and then fun football pops out the end. Is that is that about right? You summed up perfectly, yeah. <laughs> Barnsley have been in pretty good form of late. Mm-hmm. Like, you've been doing pretty well in the table, been powered up the league. Has your recruitment strategy changed as a function of you now being playoff candidates as opposed to relegation candidates? I wouldn't say so. I mean, I haven't been here long enough to understand like the full change. Obviously, since I've been here, we've just been winning. So it's something I'm used to at the minute. (laughs) Our first loss against Sheffield Wednesday was quite a shock. Um, I wouldn't say so. The style is the same. The recruitment philosophy is the same. Uh, We keep it quite young. We need players that have resale value, players that we can develop and give like a good pathway to the first team if we go up we obviously need to improve the squad as like mid to lower level championship at the minute it's just the quality of player that we can attract goes up but the style and what we want from the players stays the same you mentioned how your current squad is uh, overperforming a little bit with their position in the league is part of your job to look at the way you're performing now and see whether or not it's sustainable or is that not something that falls under your jurisdiction it's something that's in like the peripheral. It's something that we obviously I would watch all the games. I see who's doing well and what areas we need to improve on. But for the most part, the actual performance, we don't need to worry too much about. You, t- you touched on it a little bit there, uh, saying that you're looking for players who are young, who you can sell on for resale value. Um, but can you dig into a little bit more the uh, philosophy, the kind of player that you look for? Uh, yeah, so at the minute, our current style is something synonymous with what we've seen of like Liverpool, but it's obviously a lot less attractive at the minute if you've seen <laughs> some of the clips going around. It's just all about winning the ball high up the pitch and working 10 times harder than the opponent. So we look for players that are really hungry for the ball and want to, to win it high up the pitch. That's one of the main things that I look for. In terms of technical ability, it's not too important at the minute, but I think as we start to as our performances start to match our results in terms of how good the squad is we obviously need to look for that higher caliber of player 
Uh, and you mentioned they're pushing up, pushing really high. Uh, what specifically are the skills that you look for when watching a player to see if they'd be a good fit for Barnsley? So one of the main things we want from our forward players is not just the ability to produce shots to create chances, but it's more to, to look to win that ball high at the pitch. So we look at things like pressures and counter pressures. Um, pressures are according, defined by stats bomb as like an event where a player is within a certain distance of the player on the ball. So like things like a meter or so. And counter pressures is when after immediately losing the ball, you do the pressure event. So we're looking for players that get up quick, which requires good reactions. It requires good awareness of the situation, how to read the game. There's things called pressing triggers, which we look for, but that can be more stylistic and dependent on the team. So say, for example, the keeper passes it to the centre-back, and that could be a trigger for the striker to push up, and then the rest of the team follows suit and like pushes up as well. But for the most part, it depends on the player and the team. Because some teams don't like to press. Burnley are kind of famous for not doing it. They've done it a bit recently, but they're kind of well-known for not pressing, just sitting back. So if I was to look at a Burnley player, a Burnley striker, and he's not pressing, that's more a result of Sean Dyke's tactics than it is the player. So it, it gets quite difficult at times. Yeah. Is there anything you can look for as like a hint that a player is capable of doing something that they're not being asked to tactically? I think certain game scenarios kind of develop that way. But you get certain instances where it does just come down to a player's like instinct rather than like tactical instructions. I'm sure like if you've played football, there's some moments where you just you just react on instinct. You don't think about, oh, the manager's told me to do this. You just see the ball coming towards you and you want to go for it. We've Talk a little bit there about like the off-the-ball side of what you look for from the forward players, the pressing and that. Uh, would you say that is more or less important than what they can do on the ball? Um, I'd say it's marginally more important because the level of on-ball stuff between each player in this kind of level, it's, it's only marginal. It's not too different in terms of technical ability. But off the ball, there can be quite a difference. And for our style at the minute, that's kind of more important because that's how we regain the territory. The ball gets like lumped forward from Brad Collins or one of the centre-backs and then everyone just kind of hoards into the box and that's where we regain the ball. Your job is kind of split between working with stats and numbers and building models of how players are doing and watching video and putting together reports on literally watching how a player is doing. What skills would you look to the numbers to see if a player can do? And what would you look to video to see what a player can do? So the stats are basically event data at the minute. Stuff like possession-adjusted interceptions and possession-adjusted tackles. But how much, even though it's possession-adjusted, it's still not brilliant. It still depends on how much that team defends. Like Van Dyke has less tackles than, say... Ben Mee, but like you wouldn't say Ben Mee is a better defender. So I think with like stuff like pitch control and stats bomb on the ball value and all that new stuff that's coming out, we'll get a better understanding of defensive statistics. But for the minute, you can't really see how a defender covers space or how often do they scan their surroundings 
how often do they position themselves like in the right place, especially defending like two v ones? Like a defender could slow down and attacker, stand up his man well. He could match the strides. He could be perfect, but the opposing player could just pass the ball out wide and it could go out of play, and a defender doesn't get anything recorded for that. So I think that's where video comes in really handy because you just don't get that kind of detail in the stats. What is something in the job that you weren't expecting to have to do when you arrived? Dealing with agents is something that I'd never really expected to be doing too much of. I mean, I didn't really know what I expected, like, who does deal with them? And then now it turns out it is me, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so the number gets passed around, a previous analyst passed it on so that they could contact me, I could contact them, vice versa and that. Uh, but they recommend players, they're obviously trying to do the best for them. They kind of see them as their clients. They try and sell them to you. You give them what you're looking for. And then they go and look for their client list. And they come back and like, here's one we think is good. Here's his data. Here's his video. And it's like, you've just looked at his best clips and sent it to me. Like, where's his bad stuff? (laughs) My experience so far has been pretty nice. So I can't really speak too badly on them. No, that's fair enough. Can you walk us through the process of preparing for a transfer window obviously you've only been in the job since january so it might be a bit difficult for you to go through everything but it's been a couple months you've probably picked up some bits and bobs right so yeah i'm expecting it to be really hectic this summer especially if we go up we have i think every time a transfer window comes around there's about three three hundred shortlisted players that's been looked at throughout the year which is a crazy amount but obviously Different situations come up, different players move to different teams, they offer more money, they offer better playing time. And so we probably end up being whittled down to like only a selection of players. And obviously these are all, not all of these players are great. They're graded on our own system of like suitability to fit our style. And they're also graded on their current and potential ability in this giant spreadsheet that we have. Sounds very much like football manager. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it pretty much is football manager, but real life. Um, <laughs> you know when you get your, like, your short list and it's all got like 86 or something mm. in a nice yeah. green circle? Yeah, it's basically like that. It's colour-coded the same traffic light colours. Um, <laughs> nice. But we just use letters instead of numbers. Mm. <laughs> let's, let's delve a little bit more into those player reports because uh, they're obviously a massive part of what you do. So can you tell us a little bit more about what goes into them, what they look like? Um, it's just a pretty straightforward document about strengths and weaknesses. And then we grade the suitability and ability at our level. There's really not too much that goes. It's a lot of watching games, a lot of understanding what the player does, but the actual reports themselves are fairly concise. Because obviously there's so many. I don't think anyone has the time to track through like a 30-page PDF on each player. Mm. What what's the most important thing to get across in a player report? Um, just what they're good at and why they're suitable for us. I think. So let, let's have a look now at how you got into the job. How did you go from uni student to a recruitment analyst at Barnsley? It's a pretty unconventional route. These, most of these jobs require something sports science related, but. I did my master's in economics. I really love football. I really love data. 
And I just wasn't entirely inspired by potential jobs in finance or economics. So I thought, what I really want to do is work in football. And how can I do this? I'm not, I've done a bit of coaching. It wasn't really for me, not at this stage. So I'm like, well, how can I get into football? How can I do something that I love? How can I do something that I will enjoy every day? And so I've always been fairly good with numbers. I've always liked statistics, not particularly the crazy theory of maths. So that's why I did accounting as my undergrad and then economics as master's because there's a lot of maths, but it's not actual maths degree where you, I've got no idea what's going on there. <laughs> I'm sure you've uh, seen some of the stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's, maths that's not, not unfair to say as a yeah. physics student. I have seen some maths, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, football and data, they're only really aligned to one thing. And that would be an analyst role. So I thought, uh, I wasn't really sure how to get into it at first. But I started to see these accounts pop up on Twitter. So I started following some of them. I started reading up on expected goals and other uh, metrics and statistical models of football. And I tried to decide to just have a go myself. And... This started at the beginning of my master's, but it wasn't until lockdown where I finally decided to like get on with it and try it myself. So I already have this somewhat decent knowledge of football statistics by that point, but I've never really tried to put out any content or try anything myself. So lockdown hit, it's, you know, it's a bit of a shock. There's no lectures exams are all online it's all different but there's a lot of time and a lot of time just sat at home so there's no better time to really get involved and start trying this so i set up a twitter account and i started to interact with all these people started to talk to them started to learn new things started to learn what's important for football so i decided that i should probably try and learn to code myself because this is where most of the the data and analysis is actually happening so I started off, R. Uh, that seems, because Statsbomb offered a free repository on R with loads of historical data. I think it was labeled the messy data at the time. And then they brought out the Women's Super League data. Uh, but they also gave some really cool tutorials that were, for, that were free and you could just follow yourself. So that was my introduction to using R for these visualizations and for this analysis. And then what a perfect time for like, follow Mourinho's spurs <laughs> there's so much to unpack and there's so much to try and like understand like what's going on why are we so bad so they kind of like lent itself together so i used this knowledge that i built up from learning how to code and like understand basic football statistics combined with trying to unravel what Mourinho is doing at spurs combine them together and i started to create this content that basically looked at what Tottenham were doing and why, like what the data meant. But also I always kept learning and I kept uh, talking to some really great people that I've uh, met through doing this online. Uh, one of the most important things was kind of sharing my own work and getting like critique and feedback from it and learning how I could improve on this. Through doing so, I then moved on to Python and started to learn more stuff. 
And then it just kept going, going. And I started to build a following as I was going along. And then I got talking to the guys from The Extra Inch. So if, if, you, if you're not aware, The Extra Inch is a Spurs fan podcast. I've actually started listening to it recently, uh, just because I find it funny that they're so annoyed that Mourinho exists. Uh, but yeah, they, they they latched on to the stuff that you were doing and started sharing it, did they? Yeah, it's quite a good podcast for analysis. I think Nathan does a really good job of breaking down games and the different tactics that Mourinho tries to use, at least. But yeah, they're pretty big in the Spurs community, so that definitely helped to grow my account. How did you become aware of the job at Barnsley? Okay, so unlike most football jobs that are fairly kept within people in a certain bubble, you see it with football managers, they just kind of rotate around like your um, Alan Pardews and Sam Allardyce, they just kind of stop around. You're like, why is nobody young getting these cool jobs? So a similar thing in any role. Uh, most of the jobs are kind of advertised around like the clubs and it doesn't really get put out onto actual advertising sites. But this one was. Um, so I, f- I saw it on Twitter first and I kind of looked at the requirements and I didn't think I met them, so I kind of ignored it, even though... Because ideally, I wanted to spend the rest of sort of academic year, even though I'd finished by then. But that kind of time frame, like up until the summer, up until the end of the football season, I wanted to just try and get some experience in the club, doing some analysis. So in like December, I've just graduated from my master's. And there's about, was it like six, six months left of this football season? And I was hoping like, if I ask around, maybe I could get some part-time experience at a club and get that kind of exposure to professional football that I need to then send a job application in the next season. Um, but this Barnsley job came up and I looked at it and I just didn't feel like I met the requirements and I thought I'd be turned away like instantly. So I kind of put it to one side and then I just carried on with what I was doing, carried on sharing my work carried on putting it out there and talking to people. And then when the, it came around to the final day that the job was available for, um, I saw it posted again. And I just said to my friend, like, what's the worst that can happen here? Like, I just get turned away. It's, there's like a no, there's no loss from this. So I spent a couple hours on application. And what I did was I attached all of my previous work, all the best parts of my work, that I'd put out onto my Twitter account. And so I put that into a mini portfolio and I sent it off with the cover letter and the CV. And then within a couple of days, they actually got back to me and they said, you've got through to the next round. Here's some tasks. Uh, You've got a week to do it. So then I just, I was quite amazed to even do that considering how late the application was. But I think it just goes to show that I didn't have a sports science degree. I didn't have any experience, but the ability to go out on my own initiative and learn these skills and then keep learning, keep talking to people and keep gaining, not experience, but gaining that like insight from talking to people online that have already worked for football clubs. I think they saw that as quite valuable. And so the application process continued. And I continued to do 
okay. As, yeah. <laughs> as we all know the outcome, it's kind of like a big spoiler, really. Mm. <laughs> so, what does the future look like for you then? What well, what's the what's the end goal? If you could have like your dream job, what would it be? I mean, ideally, I'd love to be a football manager, but that's going to take a lot of work and a lot of years yeah. to get to. I don't think I can't see it in the foreseeable future. I'm very happy and fortunate where I am right now. Mm. Um, I could probably see myself staying at Barnsley for quite a while, unless they want to get rid of me. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> if there's someone who wants to be a recruitment analyst at a, at a club, say someone in the shoes of you maybe a year, 18 months ago, like kind of coming towards the end of like education and wondering what to do next... What would your advice be to them? My advice would be just to take every opportunity to learn about football, learn about how to analyse the game, make sure you're comfortable understanding statistics, not only like describing them, make sure you know what they mean, how they affect what happens on the pitch, how a coach can transfer, that kind of stuff. If you want to work in this field, you probably already have the knowledge and the desire and the passion for football. It's just getting the work out there and making mistakes and having people give feedback on it is really valuable. And especially on a place like Twitter, where there's so many people already doing so, so many people like me that work in this field now. And that can give you advice. It can give you criticism and just getting your work out there and getting involved, I think. Mm. Well, thanks very much. If people are interested in the stuff that you do, uh, what is your Twitter where they can follow you and find out more? Uh, my Twitter handle is at Trevelyan, uh, followed by an underscore. Wonderful stuff. Uh, And if you want to follow me for whatever reason and see what silly little gubbins I'm up to, you can follow me on Twitter at AlexTowers. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of More Than A Beautiful Game. Uh, You can find our other episodes on URY. Our intro and outro music is provided by Mr. Rory McLean. If you love it as much as I do, then you can find more just like it on Spotify. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.